0: The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit GeorgiaFaith.com. Thank you for listening. He stood on the bank of a shallow river, and in the darkness he wondered what it would be like when his world came crashing down. For 20 years, he had worked himself to the bone to make a better life for his family. And it had worked. I mean, they were well off. Prosperous, comfortable, and safe, or so he thought. But sometimes your past has a way of catching up with you. And that night, he could feel it coming. I mean, it was a day of reckoning that was 20 years in the making, and he could feel the pulse and the throb of it like a summer thunderstorm on the other side of the horizon that you can feel in the air. The next morning, he could lose everything he had and everything he was ever going to have, and he was terrified. His name was Jacob, and he stood on that riverbank wrestling with his past, wrestling with his hopes, and wrestling with his future. The the history, the story that brought him to this riverbank was one that had started all the way back when he was born, he and his brother. They were twins, fraternal. His brother Esau was slightly older, Jacob, just a few moments younger. But from the beginning, you could tell that Jacob was, well, he was going to be different. In fact, he came out of the womb, grabbing hold of his brother's heel. And so his dad, his dad named him Yaakov, which in Hebrew means grabber. Not a great name for a kid. Grabber. It's even worse in Hebrew. Actually, in Hebrew, uh, the, the word grabber has the, it, it, it uh, connotes the idea of deceitfulness. So it would be like naming your kid Shifty. <laughs> right? Can you imagine? Here comes old Shifty. What a terrible name. And of course, Jacob, he had a bunch of things that were going to go wrong for him. But one thing that really started things off on a bad foot was the way in which he and his mother tried to go about carrying out a promise or a directive of God. So God had come to his mother and had said, of these two boys, I want you to do the opposite of what's normal. Normally, the oldest boy in the family would get the birthright, the blessing. God said, not this time. I I want the younger the younger brother, to get the birthright. That was God's will, but not what their father wanted. Now, a father wanted to go to Esau. He was, he was his favorite. He was a man's man, and this is the way we've always done it, right? He it goes to the firstborn. Well, instead of waiting for God to keep his promise, Jacob and his mother, they grabbed for it. They schemed. True to his name, they deceived. They... Deceived a blind old man. They stole a birthright. And what they had done was the start of this whole problem that led to this riverbank. Because Esau, Esau, when he found out his birthright had been stolen, his blessing had been stolen, he had a simple plan. He said, I'm going to wait for dad to die. Then I'm going to kill you. I'm going to murder you and take back what's mine. That's the night that Jacob ran. He ran away. Young man ran away into the wilderness, nothing but a staff in his hand, nothing as far as future prospects. He's out there on the run, nothing but murder behind him and the unknown in front of him. And then on that night, he's out in the wilderness at a place that eventually gets to be called Bethel. Uh, God appears to this young man to, to grab her, to shifty, and uh, he gives him kind of a breathtaking set of promises. He says, I'm the Lord, and here's my promise to you. I'm going to prosper you, Jacob. I'm going to give you the land in which you're currently sleeping, the land you're running from. I'm going to give it to you. It's going to belong to your family. I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore, and one of those descendants one day is going to be the savior of the world, that people have been waiting for since the Garden of Eden. Talk about a breathtakingly broad promise to a young man who's got nothing but a staff in his hand and a rock for a pillow, on the run from his murderous brother, with no hopes and no prospects for the future, God says, listen, with this promise you can walk into your future. And that's exactly what Jacob did. You know, sometimes that's all we have, is a promise of God to walk into an uncertain future. I mean, there's a lot of days that we face where we really have no idea what's coming next. Maybe, I, maybe you don't know how this relationship is going to work out. Maybe we're not sure what this diagnosis means. Maybe it's uncertain about what's going to happen with your children. Maybe we just don't know what we're going to do about this big, huge, thorny problem in my life. Sometimes our future is nothing but uncertainty, but God makes you this promise, just like you did with Jacob. You may have to walk into an uncertain future, but you will not walk there alone. You may have to walk into a future that you don't know how it's going to turn out, but you will not walk there alone. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has promised that he'll be with you every step of the way. And he gives us an account, a story, of a man like Jacob to show that God always keeps his promises, no matter how uncertain the future might look. I mean, for Jacob, that uncertain future, it didn't get a whole lot better when he stopped running. I mean, because what it meant for him is he stopped running at the house of his uncle, Uncle Laban. And, well, Uncle Laban was really the real shifty one in this family. He was the kind of guy who was just always on the take. He was the maker of bad deals and bum promises. And what he did was he just tried to take advantage of Jacob over and over again. He duped him into marrying the wrong sister. He tried to cheat him in his business over and over again. Family. But you know what God did? Even in the face of a future like that, God kept his promises. He protected Jacob from Uncle Laban's schemes. He found a way to bless Jacob with sons and flocks and wealth. He prospered him just like he had promised. So much so that at the end of 20 years, Jacob was a wealthy man. God kept that promise to prosper him. But there were some more promises to keep. So God appeared to Jacob 20 years after he'd run away, and he said, it's time for you to go home. I wonder what feelings rushed over Jacob. I mean, having, having run from home at such a young age, the thoughts of nostalgia, getting to see his mother again, But I wonder if those rosy feelings faded to black when he remembered he had to go back to a father he had deceived and a brother who wanted to murder him. But yet Jacob went, armed only with God's promise. Now, during the 20 years that Jacob had been gone, his brother Esau didn't stay at home. He moved south. So Jacob could easily have gone back home without running into his brother Esau. But... Jacob was done running from his past. He was ready to go face to face with it. And so Jacob, as he's setting out for this journey with his children and his flocks and caravan across the desert, um, he sends out messengers to go look for his brother Esau to tell his brother Esau, your brother Jacob is coming home. Well, the caravan continues to the place where we found them in Genesis chapter 32 this morning at the bank of the river, ready to come home. And that's when the messengers that he sent out came back and found the caravan and said, we found your brother Esau. He's riding towards you with 400 armed men. Now there's only one reason to bring 400 armed men when you're meeting the brother you promised to kill. That's if it's a day for settling old scores. Bible says Jacob was distressed and full of great fear. I mean, there were 400 armed men riding toward them, and he had, he had children and women and sheep. I mean, when you read the account of what's happening here, you could smell the desperation on the guy. Uh, he makes a plan. He divides his, his family into two camps. He splits his children up between the two camps because perhaps, perhaps, and this is the best he could come up with, maybe when they're slaughtering half of my children, the other half can run. When that's your best plan, you're in trouble. Right? You can smell the desperation on the guy. There are days when you and I, when we, when we stand in the darkness and we have to wrestle with deeds of our past that have come back to us. Have you ever had a day where you look at your life and wonder if you're going to keep half of it? You know, though, I think we can learn something from Jacob here. He's full of distress and fear, but he prays a prayer that can be so instructive for you and me when we're standing in the dark, wrestling with our past or wrestling with our future. Uh, The prayer that he prays actually comes in the verses right before the ones I read in the service folder. It's in Genesis chapter 2, starting with uh, verse 9, and I I think it's a great prayer for us to learn uh, to learn about as we wrestle with God, this is how he starts. He says, "O oh God of my Father Abraham, God of my father Isaac he 's praying to the God he knows, the God he knows has been faithful to his father, and he knows he 's been faithful to his grandfather. And he says, "Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper." He reminds God, and he reminds himself, You told me to do this. You said go back to your country, and you said you were going to make me prosper. Now, I don't know what the word prosper means, but it doesn't mean dead, right, Lord? Not dead. He says, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant." acknowledges that God doesn't owe him anything. This is an important point for us to remember. Sometimes when we Christians are facing crisis and we take something to God in prayer, especially if we're faithful Christians, we might have the idea that God owes us something, that God ought to do this for us, like we've entered into some kind of contract with God, like I go to church on Sunday morning, therefore, God, you should answer this prayer in the way I want you to. Jacob recognizes God doesn't owe him anything, We don't owe God, or God doesn't owe us anything, and yet, amazingly, he invites us to pray. Jacob says, I had only my staff when I crossed this river on the way out, but now I've become two camps. He's thanking God for for all the blessings that God has given him in the past. He's looking back and seeing God's faithful love in his life, and that is a great place to look when it feels like the world's about to come down around you because you cannot see into the future, but you can see into your past. You might have no idea what's going to happen, but you can look back and see exactly how God has been faithful to you and blessed you and kept his promises to you in the past. So that can give you the confidence that we have a God who keeps his promises and confidence to then, well, then ask God for what we need. Listen to what Jacob says save me i pray from the hand of my brother esau that's a prayer of a man who can bring nothing to god but asks for everything from god it's the kind of prayer that you and i can bring too. rescue me god save me and then listen to the emotion in his voice for i'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children You don't ever have to hesitate to tell god that you're afraid you never have to hesitate to tell god that you're worried or anxious or angry or sad you can take everything to the god who says cast your cares on me because i care for you we can take all those things to our god but then he's always going to point us back to the promise i mean this is this is one of the best parts of jacob's prayer he says but but you have said I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. But you said, Lord, you said, I'm afraid he's going to kill me, but you said, I'm going to prosper and my children are going to live. Here's a central truth of our Christian life. What God has promised to you, you can demand from him. What God has promised to you you can demand from him. I mean, think about what he promised Jacob. He promised that he's going to give him the land, he's going to make him prosper, he's going to give him descendants, and the Savior is going to come from his family. None of those things could be true if Esau slaughtered them all. God said, this I promised you, and Jacob could demand it from him, but you said, Lord, you said. Here's another important truth, though. Um, God hasn't promised that to you Or to me he has not promised you that you're gonna get rich or that you'll even have a job he never made you that promise he did not promise you that you won't get cancer he did not promise you that you'll live a long and healthy life he did not promise that to you you cannot demand that from him but he did make you a promise that's even better he did make you a promise that's even greater he makes you a promise that not your present circumstances, not your past actions, not your future problems dictate your relationship with God, but only the work of his son. And that your relationship with God is right because of what Jesus has done. And that means he promises you that you do not ever have to wrestle with the sins of your past. I mean, that's what Jacob was doing on the bank of this river. He was waiting for his past to catch up with him. Sometimes you and I, we fall into the same problem. We wait for our past to catch up with us. We think we can wrestle with our past sins, think that's the way we deal with them. We wrestle with our past sins when we think, you know, eventually God's gonna pay me back for what I did. We're wrestling with our past sins when we think, you know, maybe if I feel sufficiently badly about this sin, then God will not punish me. We wrestle with our past sins When we make promises to God that I'm never going to do this again and therefore, God, you will do this for me? Here's the thing. God doesn't work on karma. Thank goodness he doesn't. God operates on this radical principle called grace. And he promises you that because Jesus died and rose again, that your sins aren't just paid for, but those sins that make you shake your head or close your eyes or burn with shame those sins are not just forgiven they're forgotten those sins that you can't forget maybe those sins that you'll never be able to forget god says i have forgiven your wickedness and i can remember your sins no more stop wrestling with the sins of your past and call on god to give you exactly what he promised forgiveness amazing prayer that the heel grabber Jacob spoke on the banks of that river. He stood in the dark by that shallow river waiting for God's answer to the prayer. The answer came in a pretty odd way when suddenly a man jumped him in the dark. A man's a fight breaks out. Jacob and this man are wrestling and pushing and pulling on the ground what in the world is going on This seems kind of flat out crazy especially when you and i having the perspective of scripture know who this man is this is this is the son of god this is jesus before he was born as a baby in bethlehem the angel of the lord comes down and wrestles with jacob my goodness sakes if god is wrestling him it seems as if god's against him right and if god's against me then what good are any of his promises Have you ever felt like God was out to get you? Or at least God was against you? Feel like God was pinning you to the ground? Times like that we're tempted to think that God is out to hurt us. I mean, how many people don't you know who blame God for the bad things that have happened in their life and use that as a reason to walk away from him? can feel like God is sometimes against us. But here's why God did this. He wanted us to know that God never enters into this human sphere to hurt, but always to save. I mean, he came down. Think about this. The Son of God wrestles Jacob to a draw. Right? The the Son of God, the most powerful thing you can imagine, the one who puts the planets in their courses and the stars in their places, wrestles a middle-aged man to a draw. I mean, the God's so powerful, his finger turns the seas and his breath rends the air. It was a tie. What's the point? The point is that when you wrestle with God, it's not about him hurting you. It's about him blessing you. Sometimes when it feels like God's against us, we just have the wrong idea. God had come down to bless Jacob, not to hurt him. You know, and when Jacob found out what was going on, What did he do? He just hung on to God and waited for dawn. He grabbed hold of God and he waited for morning. He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Sometimes when our life feels like God's fighting against us, well, we need to stop and just grab hold of God and wait for dawn, knowing he has not come to fight us but to bless us. God said, what's your name? Shifty, grabber, my name's Jacob. God said, not anymore. Your name is Israel. That's Hebrew for one who wrestles with God. See, God gave him a new name to remind him that he wasn't the product of his past he was what god would make of him he wrenched his hip so that he would remember this day with every step he took and when the sun rose Jacob was finished blessed or was finished wrestling now he knew he knew that even if the world were crashing down all around him god would keep his promises and then you see him under the rising sun limping into his future, armed only with the promises of God. Brothers and sisters, in the dark hours of your life, it seems like everything's fighting against you. Do what Jacob did. Wrestle with God. Hold on to him and don't let go. Just wait for dawn. I will not let you go until you bless me. Then limp into your future, armed only with the promises of God. God granted. Amen.